I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Thanks for tuning in. We are doing a mini quick hitting series on hybrid learning. It's a hot topic these days and something many people are reflecting upon and gearing up for in the next school year. Our guest today is Richard Byrne. Richard was a former guest on Diving Deep EDU. Go back, check out episode number six to hear our conversation. Richard is a former high school social studies teacher and current computer science teacher. He's a cyclist and is best known for his blog, Free Tech for Teachers, which is read by an audience of more than 500,000 worldwide. Richard is also a contributing author to numerous publications and is a speaker at conferences around the world. Richard, thank you so much for joining me again. To start things off, tell us about a great bike trip you have taken recently. So the biggest bike trip I've recently taken, I completed the Unbound Gravel 200 bike race, which is uh, 206 miles Ooh. of gravel riding across uh, the Flint Hills area of Kansas. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, give us a little tidbit of that uh, bike ride experience. By far the hardest thing I have ever done. <laughs> I've done other t- I've done other 200-mile bike rides. In fact, we talked about it on the previous episode, episode yep. number six. <laughs> Uh, and this was light years harder in, wow. in so many ways. The terrain was, was dirt gravel. So there was that part. The first 120 miles went great for me. <laughs> and then the wheels came off, not literally, but figuratively. Wow. Uh, I, the wind picked up, the heat picked up and it was 50 miles of pedaling into a headwind and feeling Awful, but I'll tell you the highlight. So my awesome partner, <laughs> Jess, she came as my support crew. And when I got to the 157-mile the uh, pit stop, I felt like I couldn't go on anymore. And she pulled out this banner that our kids had made. We have a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And it said, Go, Dad, go. <laughs> and that gave that and some Doritos yeah. <laughs> gave me the energy to, to finish the last – 50 miles of it. Uh, just a, an awesome experience. Uh, th- there was 50 miles of, of torture, but the the but it was an awesome experience overall. And about how long does something like that take you? My goal time was to finish it in 14 hours, and it ended up taking me closer to 18 hours to finish. Oh, my goodness. Uh, to put it in perspective, about 1,000 people started, and about 650 or so actually finished it. Uh, and it, it's a mass start event, kind of like a marathon, like the Boston Marathon or New York Marathon, mm-hmm. uh, where you get elite cyclists from around the world, and then you get average guys like me who are just trying to do their best. <laughs> and the, the the elite guys who are tr- who are competing for the win are like guys who rode in the Tour de France and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, they finish it in about they finish it in about ten and a half to eleven hours, so that gives you a little more perspective on on, on the day. Cool. Well, congrats on finishing that. And uh, thank you. 
as we uh, switch gears a little bit and thinking about hybrid learning, as we reflect, um, you know, it's been a difficult year for, for everyone involved, right? Uh, there's been some highs, there's been some lows, but what were some of your big takeaways? My biggest takeaway from this year uh, was the need for consistency in kids' lives. No, no matter what the, the method of instruction is, whether that's online, you know, 100% online, hybrid, 100% in-person, kids just need, they need that consistency and that routine. And that, that's my number one takeaway. But mm-hmm. light years ahead of any other takeaway from the year, that's the, the biggest thing. Kids need consistency. Yeah, thanks for highlighting that. And you're right, that can be taken, whether it's in an online environment or in person, you can sort of take that and to apply that into any realm. And, and I appreciate you pointing that out. And as we think about things that have gone well, right, within this hybrid or blended learning environment, what were some things uh, that went well and why did they go well? So for me, looking back at the, the school year, what went well for me was again having that consistency of routine mm-hmm. it transferred from the three different models that my school used over the year you know okay. over, at different times over the year we had you know 100% in person 100% remote and, and hybrid models and for me the the thing that that helped my students the most i think was knowing that regardless of which model we were using the class was going to start with a recap of the previous of the previous mm-hmm. day's activity. And then we were going to move into, I'll call it a funtivity, right? Something yeah. like some kind of quick little formative assessment. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it was Kahoot. Sometimes it was just, I want you to sketch something in your, in your notebook or often it was Google Jamboard that we use mm-hmm. for sketching a lot, you know, whatever it was, they, like, they knew that that was going to be, the start of class, and then we were going to move into if it was a hands-on, you know, if it was a hands-on day because we were in person, it was going to be a hands-on activity. If it was a hybrid day, it was going to be the okay. Now we're going to split out into okay, online kids. You're going to have this online this online simulation to do. Yeah. Kids in class, you're going to do whatever the 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 hands-on activity was for that day. That was the that was the number one thing for me. I, I you know, mm-hmm. regardless of the technology that was in place and, and the reason I'm, I'm stressing this so much is yeah. because I think in the last year, I'll, there's been a lot of conversation about, Oh, is it better to use zoom? Is it better mm-hmm. to use Google me? Is it better to use Microsoft teams? Should yeah. kids have their webcams on or have their webcams off? You know, all, all those conversations I think are secondary to yeah providing that structure for kids and providing lessons for kids that are still meaningful and still impactful. And, you know, and through that, we, we can then build relationships with kids. That's yeah. the other big takeaway. I put this in Instagram post a couple of weeks ago that, you know, I'm, ref- I just finished up 18 years, 18 years of, of public, of working in public schools the relationship with kids is the thing they're going to remember, right? I've, I've got kids now who are old enough to have kids that are coming into high school, right? <laughs> like my, my, my first, my very first students are in their mid to late thirties now mm-hmm. and are old enough to have their kids coming into middle school and high school. 
and I see some of them and they don't ask me about the war of 1812 or anything else <laughs> that I did with them, you know, 15, 16, 18 years ago. They, you know, they, they chat with me about, you know, different things we did in class. That That's the big, that's the big takeaway. You know, I teach computer science, uh, but I really teach students, right? Yeah. Like that, that's, that's the big takeaway. Yeah. Thanks for, for highlighting that and staying on that, the consistency, the relationships and uh, reminding us how critical, foundational, how important they are in all of instruction and, and not to lose that focus. So I, I really do appreciate that. You did mention some fun activities to get things started. I've, you know, I've talked to some teachers and they've mentioned, you know, Matt, it's just, it's just kind of hard to switch things up. I feel like I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm not engaging. It's not that fun. Uh, you mentioned you do some cahoots, you do some jam boards. Were there any other fun activities that you saw that that helped engage students uh, in this sort of environment? Yeah. So one of the other things I, I like to do is kind of a, a takeaway from the from the old NPR show uh, Car Talk, and I'll I'll, yeah. I'll do stump the chumps. Right? <laughs> so uh, this is just okay. Whatever questions you can come up with to stump Mr. Byrne, go for it. Right. And, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's related to computer science. Other times it was advice on, you know, how to talk to girls. Right. Like whatever it was, <laughs> like just doing that, right? mm-hmm. you know, can go in so many ways. And it gets back to that piece of it's about talking to kids, making relationships with kids of, you know, uh, I, I was telling this to to somebody else uh, a couple of days ago. I can't remember. Oh, it was some someone who was talking, who was making a career change. A friend of mine was looking to make a career change in, into, into education. And so the number one thing is you got to remember that some days you might end up talking to kids about how venture capital works, and like what? How did that come up? I'm like, well, we we're talking about computer science and how apps are made and how they get, mm-hmm. gets, you know, how they how they become a, a business. And we ended up talking about venture capital for like an hour one day. And it was all because of that kind of stump the chumps activity that I was doing mm-hmm. with kids. It was like, how do I make money at this? Right. Uh, so that's a that's a fun one because it can go in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. It can go in a lot of directions and it gets and it gets out of doing Kahoot because Kahoot is going to get boring no matter how fun it is mm-hmm. the first five times. It's gonna get boring the seventh, eighth, or ninth time. You know, when I'm doing the when I when I do the Jamboard drawing activities, right? That it's kind of fun the first few times, but you got you got to mix it up. And, you know, doing that stump the jumps thing, you never know what you're gonna get. And you, you yes, you got to put some parameters around it. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, we're not gonna talk about X Y Z topics. Right. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into the realm of what the ninth grade health teacher talks about. <laughs> I'm not going down that road with them. Uh, I'll leave that to the health teacher. Uh, but, you know, that, that that's probably my, my, my favorite way to try to keep it fun. Yeah, that's fun, too. And it also ties into what you were sort of saying earlier. I'm, I'm sure that also helps with the relationships. Having, like, unstructured time where kids can ask questions and they know you're a real person and you can be authentic and just see where it goes. And they're like, okay, okay, this guy is uh, for real. Like, he's willing to engage with us even if we ask something a little bit off topic. Um, yeah, so I'm sure you've felt some of that as well. Um, now, as we think about hybrid learning and some difficulties, right? You know, people are saying difficulties all year, and, and there are some. What's something that has stuck out to you that's been a struggle 
uh, throughout this process? So I would, you know, for me, the, the, the struggle was with kids who were, for lack of a better term, not engaged in school on the whole, hmm. right? Meaning uh, like they, they might come to my class because my class is an elective and they, they obviously chose to be there. Um, but once, but they, but they don't go to their algebra class or they don't go to their, their language arts class or, you know, maybe they don't go to any of their other classes. Hmm. And once they start to see that, oh, I can skip the Zoom for my language arts class and nothing's really happening. And this is not a reflection on the language arts teacher or reflection on the school. It's just the, the nature of, you know, once kids turn 16, at least in, here in the state of Maine, is where our hands are a little bit more tied as to forcing them to come to school, if you will. Uh, and so I, I did lose a couple of kids who just kind of like dropped off, like completely dropped up out of school uh, wow. because they, they lost that engagement piece, uh, you mm. know, where they, they lost you know, coming into school interacting with their friends in an in-person environment, particularly where, where I live, it's a, it's a pretty rural environment by, by most standards. We have kids that come from eight towns plus some uh, townships and in, in other areas. So, you know, once that, that social element of meeting in person went away for some kids, you know, even getting to come to to an elective class via Zoom became a challenge. Uh, so that 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 was the biggest challenge. Just the yeah. the attendance factor, and no matter, you know, I, I'm thinking of one one kid in particular. I obviously won't mention his name, but I'm thinking of him. He was, you know, my most, I would say my most engaged, most curious student uh, for the first six or seven months of the year. And then he turned 16 and he never went to any of his other classes except for mine. And then he stopped coming to mine via Zoom as well because there was no other accountability or reason for him to, to, to come to class. Mm-hmm. And even though you know, he was a smart kid and you know, I, I wish that there was more I could have done to get him back into, into school. And it just, you know, once the parents say, no, you know, you know you can learn this all online. You can learn this all via YouTube, which is not true, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was really not a whole lot left with, that we could do, unfortunately. Yeah. Did you see anything that was helpful? Now, maybe something didn't help with that one student that you gave an example for, but something that's helpful to engage students and get them involved in this process so they don't sort of drift off and and leave you know, school, whether it be the physical school or the virtual school. I will say that the the one thing that that really helped in in my program was the giving my students the option for independent group projects. Uh, And and in my particular program, I, and I mentioned this on the previous podcast I was on with you. uh, I have a a lot of local control over my budget where, you know, whereas if I was still teaching history, there's 12 people in the department. I've got to go to the department head to, to make budget decisions and request, you know, I need $25 for more markers or whatever, right? Teaching computer science, I'm the department and I have final control over the budget minus mm-hmm. whatever the school board says. Uh, but within those confines, I can go and I can order, you know, I need to go and order a new video graphics card, right? Or I need to go order XYZ stuff. I can do that. So what, what worked for me 
was I, I turned a big chunk of my class into independent project time, but independent in the context of you're working with somebody else and you need to talk to that person. You guys need to work together to come up with the list of things you want to buy or have me buy to build your, to build whatever thing you want to do. So I had, I had one group that wanted to make their own NAS server, build their own NAS server. So they did that. Uh, I had another group that wanted to see what was the best gaming PC they could build from scratch for a thousand dollars or less. And so that big, in that particular project uh, turned out to be really great because it introduced a whole lot of budgeting factors mm-hmm. into it. But I had w- one member of that group was one of those ones who would sporadically just disappear. <laughs> uh, you know, he would, he would, he would not show up for the zooms, uh, you know, or he wouldn't come into class for like a, a couple of days, but he'd always reemerge when I said, Oh, you know what? You guys can't order everything until student X, I'll call him, uh, <laughs> comes back in and approves all this, all, all these decisions you're making. So that really worked for me. Yeah. Uh, kind of that, that group mentality, that herd mentality. Mm-hmm. If you're all in this together. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You used the group component, but then you also included them in the process from the start, not only picking what they wanted to do, but okay, now what do you actually want to buy? I'll actually buy this stuff for you or the school will buy it for you. We actually do care. Like I want to do what you want to do. And then you included them in that process into completion. That's great. That's a, that's a really great example of tapping into student agency student choice, collaboration, all these skills that we say that students need, but oftentimes we don't put it into practice like that example you just shared. So thanks for sharing that. As we look forward, right, we've been reflecting a little bit on the past and we can't really change the past and we don't know what the future is going to hold either. But what do you envision or what do you hope for as things move forward with some sort of hybrid learning? Again, still keeping our eye on hybrid learning and what we hope it could look like in the upcoming school year if we're in that situation. You know, my hope is that number one, we 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 come out of hybrid learning recognizing a little bit more that that while we we've said for years that students need need personalization and individualization, that we actually start to do that a bit mm-hmm. more, and, and I think. That is one of the good things to come out of hybrid learning, at least in, in my perspective, mm-hmm. is that it has created more opportunity for that personalization, mm-hmm. in, in part be, just out of the nature of, of what's going on. You know, when you're trying to manage half your class in Zoom and half mm-hmm. your class in the classroom, you you can't do both, right? You, you, can't, you can't do them simultaneously. You can yeah. you can try to do them simultaneously, but you, you can't. So you, mm-hmm. so you end up setting up some kids to do activity X and some kids to do activity Y, mm-hmm. and you find yourself spending, at least I found myself spending less time um, teaching, if you will, I'm using air quotes, you know, teaching and, and you know, sage on the stage, yeah. And more time coaching, more time you know, talking about what, you know, what are the hurdles, what are the obstacles here? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I will say another little activity that, that, that worked for me was turning the hybrid instruction 
around to make the students teach each other in a hybrid model, uh, which was, uh, and I, I can't believe I haven't written a blog post about this yet, but I, <laughs> but I will. I, mean, I guess I will. Uh, rather than, than me leading the whole activity, turn it around and I say, okay, I'm struggling not to use my students' names right now. Yeah. Uh, but I'll use one of them right now because she's awesome. Uh, and I'll say, okay, Gina, today you're going to be in charge of you know, leading this activity. Uh, and she was really, she was really good at using at writing JavaScript. Uh, and I said, okay, so today you're going to be in mm. charge of leading this activity on JavaScript. And I, and I had it kind of planned out yeah. for her. So it wasn't like she was going up the lesson plan, if you will. But she was then in charge of kind of guiding her classmates through a little bit. And I handled all the technical side of, mm -hmm. you know, doing the Zoom, you know, doing the Zoom and the screen sharing and all that stuff for her. But it worked out really well because then she was in charge, you know, she was kind of in charge mm -hmm. of, of the process. And, uh, and, and I did that, you know, I, I have small classes, so fortunately, so that makes it a little bit easier for me. But I was able to you know, rotate kids through that process uh, so that it, it wasn't just me always leading the hybrid instruction. Yeah, I'm sure that was so beneficial for that student that was leading and then also for the students listening to hear from their peers. And it probably increased their motivation, increased their engagement. And sometimes we say things in a way that doesn't connect that their own peers can say something and it connects and makes the light uh, bulb go on. And like, oh, oh, now I get it. She said it like this. Now I can understand it a little bit better. Um, so that's a that's a great example. You should also write a blog post about that example you shared earlier with the way that you did the projects, uh, going from beginning to end and having the group work and having them figure out their budget and all of those sorts of things. I love that idea as well. All right, Richard, we're closing things out. This is a quick conversation. We're keeping things moving here. Uh, any, any tip or final thought you want to leave us with in regards to hybrid learning? Consistency. That's yeah. it. Create, yeah. create consistency for your kids. That, that's the number one tip I have. Great. Thank you. Appreciate that. And for our listeners, go and check out. We haven't got a chance to talk about it too much, but go check out Free Tech for Teachers. It's a great resource, plenty of tutorials, plenty of blog posts that will help you understand ideas, understand concepts, and sort of walk you through any, uh, any difficulties you might be having with a tool or with an idea. Richard, thank you so much for joining me again on Diving Deep EDU. This was a fast-paced and helpful conversation. Thank you so much for all of your insights to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, go back, listen to episode number six, and you'll hear our previous conversation. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, and leave a review. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.